Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. Hello everyone and welcome to the Fulhamish Podcast. My name is not Sammy James or Jack Collins. My name is Ben Jarman and today I am here to steer you through Fulham's trip to the South Coast as we took on Southampton at St Mary's. Joining me tonight on my Fulhamish hosting debut is a man who loves craft beer more than the founder of Brewdog himself. It is Drew Heatley. Hello, Captain Jarms. Hello, mate. Thank you very much for joining me. And today I also have the gentleman who is a staple of Fulhamish's writing output and our premier bags man. It is Cameron Ramsey. Going on, lads. All good? All good in the hood, mate. Thank you very much. How have your weekends been aside the negative result we got down on the south coast? But to be honest, it's been a bit of a nothing weekend. I've just been chilling around and relaxing, which is pretty much, you know, echoes the dead rubber that we that we watched uh, on Saturday. But nonetheless, we're all here to talk about it, and we're all here. Everybody's here to listen to it. So I won't go. I won't uh, go uh, too hard on it being a nothing game, uh, although obviously it was. I mean, let's try and make this as fun as we possibly can, and I think that that's a, probably a good note to get into some of the three word reviews we had across this weekend because. Having looked at this before I jumped in the podcasting seat, there are some corkers out there. And I think, Drew, you're going to give us a selection of the best right now. Yeah, well, I hope uh, I hope I've done them justice. Uh, you, you know, you can feel the anger coming through now. Obviously, with relegation confirmed and you know no uptick in any performance whatsoever, you can uh, you can you can taste the venom in some of these three word reviews. Uh, much with uh, Andy Jeffries' effort, same old shit. Um, <laughs> to just to kick us off, uh, we had uh, Will Greenhouse with uh, this Saint It, which I enjoyed. Um, Josh Whitcomb, who pops up quite a lot on these free road reviews recently, Dead Men Jogging, which uh, definitely sums it <laughs> up. Um, and then uh, to try and end on a little bit of a positive note, we've got Frank Miller 05, absolutely fabulous. And he's hyphenated fabulous to make it three instead of two. Uh, and uh, that is obviously in relation to uh, Fabio Carvalho and his, and his wonderful debut. Now, as a copywriter, that must be ticking all the boxes for you, but... Of course, that is the only bright spot that Fulham had this weekend as we travelled down to the south coast to St Mary's, as I said earlier, after relegation was confirmed on Monday against Burnley. This kind of felt like maybe it gave Fulham a good chance to bounce back. But actually, on, on reflection, it was a bit of a damp squib for Fulham, who um, I'm pretty sure were not relishing the prospect of getting back out onto the pitch anytime soon after such a negative result against Burnley. Um, and we saw that the manager... Uh, rang four changes into the lineup. So in came uh, Ola Aina, Harrison Reed made made a welcome return, Josh Onomo, and of course Fabio Carvalho. Who went on to have a, a brilliant game on his debut. But Cam, I think if we look at the first half in isolation, after that raft of changes from Scott, who seems to be making some sort of statement there, it'd be good to get your thoughts on on what the manager was actually going for with these tactical decisions. See, I'm in the same boat as you, James. I'm not really too sure what he was trying to achieve anyway. Um... I thought, you know, we wanted to approach the game in a bit more of a positive vein, um, go out and express ourselves and have a bit of fun. And uh, Scott certainly done, done that with his uh, squad selection. Let's let's be honest with it here. Um, Fabio Carvalho, I think, was a uh, really good value for his uh, start. And Scott said before the game that he was uh, in the squad on merit, not just because of the fact that we needed a little bit of revitalisation, um, just going forward with a bit of youth. Um, but I'm not really too sure about Olerena in the middle, for you know, um, 
I'm I'm not really won over by him at all. I didn't really think he had too much of an influence in there in the game as well. And I thought he got dragged out of position quite a lot and just put us under pressure. And uh, and yeah, I I I'm I'm really not uh, I'm really quite confused to what Scott was actually trying to uh, trying to achieve. And that's all I've really got to say about that, mate. To say the truth, I mean, yeah, it was just a strange one. It's a strange one. Well, yeah, Cam, I completely agree. I feel like the weird four at five at the back hybrid that Parker tried to play in the early parts of the of the first half and then into the second didn't suit us at all. And I think that the role that he tried to put Olaena in didn't suit him whatsoever. This is someone that's a naturalised left back playing in defensive midfield, having played a lot of the season at centre half. You would have thought it was an, an easy transition, but actually looked very much out of his depth there. And Drew. I'd be keen to get your thoughts on on the weird selection of, of Aner in that defensive midfield, but also the structure, because I'm seeing a lot of tweets out there, a lot of feedback across the Fulham media that kind of didn't really have a clue uh, what was going on in that first half in terms of a lot of uh, square pegs in round holes and a formation that ne- none of us could work out. Yeah, it's funny. So many tweets from people saying, you know, I've, I've never watched a, a full Fulham game not having a clue where... What what sort of formation we were going with, and you know, at the end of the day, Scott Parker, I think, is making a statement. Uh, we are we are weeks away from the summer of discontent, and we all can see it coming. There's a heading. There's a head to head between Tony, maybe even Shad and and Scott, and you've heard it this week. And and Scott's now making a statement, which I believe you know he's been making subtle statements all season. And I want him to come out and say exactly what he's thinking because, you know, we're talking about next season. Are we going to keep Parker or or who's going to go? Who's going to stay? Parker needs to tell us, you know, what, what he's particularly unhappy with because it could really shed some light on some of the stuff that he's been doing this season in terms of some of the stubborn choices that he's made. You talk about square pegs and round holes with, with uh, you know, Alaina today uh, on Saturday, uh, you know, his stubborn refusal to to make room for Mitrovic, et cetera, et cetera. All of these different things that he's been doing, has he been making a statement to say, look, I've not been backed the way that I should have been backed? Um and until he says that, we're not we're we're all going to be speculating, aren't we? Let's be honest. Um, you know, and it was disappointing on Saturday it, the way that it all transpired because you know Parker's USP, if you will, is his focus on attitude. And you know, he said after the game, you know, about motivating the squad, it's about professional pride. And and I didn't see much professional pride out there, and I haven't seen much professional pride among the players in the last you know six games since since the Liverpool win, really, when it's all gone to pot. I think you know. It makes Parker quite a quite quite a hollow figure. I feel quite hollow listening to him. At, you know, at the moment after the Wembley playoff, you know, I, I felt like he could he could motivate a corpse back to the living. He was, you know, it was stirring. You know, <laughs> stood on the side of the pitch, and, and you know, we were all into it, weren't we? We were all into it, and now, you know, now it's just you know, oh, we fell short today. The lads fell short today, and it's all the same sort of stuff. And it's like, okay, well, if you don't have if you don't have that motivational aspect, which was, you know, a huge sort of string to your bow, then what's left? And, you know, I want to believe in Parker as a coach, but these sorts of things that happened on Saturday, you know, they don't, they, they jar with you. And, and so, you know, he needs to come out and say why he's doing it. Otherwise it's going to look bad on him. Well, well, you see it across the footballing landscape at the moment that a lot of the managers take this opportunity to get in with the dressing room to motivate the players personally and got on get on board with motivating them in certain aspects and then perhaps looking at the tactics later and I kind of feel that perhaps this might have fallen short for Scott Parker now because I think that the motivational side of things could potentially be wearing thin and I I, I think the tactical stuff is also coming out to the fore now because 
when you see the 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 changes that he made, obviously bringing in Aina, he brings in Reed, he brings in Onoma and Carvalho. Onoma in particular, Cam, I think is a very strange one. Um, I think that perhaps what Parker's trying to do there is almost counter the mobility of Southampton with the mobility of Fulham. But actually, that midfield three of Aina, Reed, and Onoma didn't have any impact on the game whatsoever. Was it a wrong decision? And who would you have gone with instead? No, I, I quite liked Onoma out there actually. Um, you know, he's uh, got one. He's got one head of a set of legs on him. Really, you know, he can run. He's full of power, and um, he did like to try and uh, double up with even Caviero. You know, period, periodically throughout the game to try and stretch the Saints' uh, back four, which is still quite brittle as well as much as possible. But I agree that maybe you know. Where he is at the moment, coming back from uh, his injury problems, uh, he isn't necessarily the uh, barnstorming player we need running into those dangerous areas in the final third. And you're right, it kind of cancelled our uh, our dynamism our dynamism out in the middle. Um, you, just looking at looking at the bench that we had available to us and uh, the players obviously at our disposal. I mean, the the, the whole conundrum around Ruben Loftus Cheek, you know, is he is he really invested into into the club? Of course, he's not. We've seen that throughout this uh, throughout this season that he's just here to um, build up a tiny bit of fitness before he heads back to uh, Tuchel's team and gets uh, fed out somewhere else on loan next season, no doubt. Um, so I, I I I think from the players that we had at our disposal yesterday, I know we talk about you know Alexander Mitrovic not being involved, and maybe we could have accommodated for him just to be uh, a bit more of a focal point, but. No, I, I thought Onoma was definitely uh, definitely the right man to kind of partner up top with uh, Caviero the way he, he did. But, but yeah, I mean, it, it just looked a little bit uh, thrown together, a bit disjointed. And we, we did get overrun a little bit centrally uh, on Saturday. And uh, that's kind of been a, a running theme for a couple of more, couple of weeks now. You know, Harrison Reed's obviously been out with his injury problems as well, someone that shores up so nicely. In, in front of the back three or the back four, whatever we employ on the day. Um, and I, I don't really see too much Van Gussa, you know, step, stepping out and making a, making a real impact himself. And uh, it's like these players at the moment, you talk about the motivational aspect of it all, you know, we, we, were, we were fighting a losing battle to start with, trying to stay up in the Premier League. And uh, you can only really take so much uh, galvanising over the weeks without actually becoming completely disillusioned by what we're trying to achieve. And uh, I saw it in the performances on Saturday that the boys just weren't interested. And that's all it is, really. Absolutely. I, I mean, I fully agree with you there. I thought Fulham were very flat. I thought we were second to every single ball. And you can't afford to do that in this league. And ultimately, that's why we paid the price. So if we move on quickly, let's have a look at the goal from Shea Adams then. Um, a very clumsy foul, and perhaps you might argue an unnecessary foul from Joachim Anderson on the on the edge of the box there. And when you give James Ward-Prowse, you know, the ball from from that area of the pitch, there's always going to be a, a positive outcome, whether that's you know making the keeper make a save or uh, an assist. James Ward-Prowse now has seven assists for Southampton from set pieces this season alone. It's going to be a tough one for Fulham to defend there. And Drew, I just want to get your thoughts on on the goal itself and perhaps you know what Fulham could have done better in that situation. Well, again, yeah, it's you know it's a shame that uh, Anderson sort of blotted the copybook with the, with the foul in the edge area, but it's just it, it just seems so pedestrian, doesn't it? It just I think that sums up the whole sort of game. It was just it was just such a pedestrian effort from from everybody when 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 that sort of that. When it went forward and uh, and Che Adams just had to simply just tap that in. It was all just uh, 
it just felt like Groundhog Day uh, for me, to be honest. And 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 that's the sort of that's the sort of thing that really gets me going. I go we go back to the whole sort of park comments, and it's like we don't play with any of the vim and vigor that we're told that is instilled in the boys, uh, and we didn't at all uh, on Saturday. Uh, you know, James Ward Prowse is so so dangerous. Is one of the probably you know in the Southampton side that was plummeting down uh, and was in danger at some point of getting you know wrapped up in all of this. He is one of their their shining lights, uh, especially prior to Teller's emergence today. Uh, and so you know he should have been should have been everybody's bread and butter to be to be watching out for. But you know, alas, we we, we have not been able to sense danger all season. These dangerous moments, and again we. We just completely missed it. It's like we're, we're we're just naive beyond compare sometimes. And Cam, as as fans, obviously we sit there in front of the TV or in the stadium or wherever we are, unfortunate enough to be to watch these games. And you see the back line defend the way they did. Obviously, they have a, a flat ball, slightly floated, come across the middle of the six yard box, and you don't get anyone in a, in a yellow shirt attacking it. How frustrating is that for you? Uh, and you know, like, does this just sum us up defensively at times? Oh, completely. I mean, I'm not a defender myself, but I know that when you're trying to hold down the uh, your own 18 yard, you attack the ball as you would, you know, any opposition opposition's penalty area, and we didn't do that. And uh, the line we held was completely, uh, it was uh, zigzagged. You know, there was no shape to it at all. And I hate to hark back to um, Olerena as well, but he was at fault for Che Adams just stealing stealing a little bit of a march on him to uh, prod the ball home. He just let him. He let him step across him um, on the six-yard box or just within the six-yard box. And as a defender, you've uh, you've really got to be throwing yourself on the line there to make sure that you at least uh, make it difficult for a striker to make a clean connection. And uh, it just seemed like we expected them to score from that situation in a weird way. Like you say, I mean, James Ward-Prowse is uh, is he he he's one of the most talented um, set-piece dead ball specialists in the game, especially in the Premier League. And uh, he puts it on a sixpence in the perfect area for uh, for Che Adams to just gobble it up and put it home. But we 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 needed to anticipate that a bit more, and we just didn't. And it was an ominous threat throughout the uh, throughout the game as well. Every time they got themselves in those dead ball situations where they could uh, hoist the ball into the box and uh, put him into those difficult areas, we didn't necessarily deal with it very well. And yeah, I I, I don't think that they. You know the leadership qualities that we saw in Anderson um, came to fall yesterday or on Saturday, sorry, um, and that kind of that kind of runs with Tossin as well. I, I thought that they, you know, they cooperate nicely and they have you know good a good understanding of what's required in those situations, but we just got completely outfoxed and that's been our downfall. And sadly, that we're in the position we are because of that. So. So yeah, I'm not necessarily won over by the way that we uh, we conducted ourselves defensively on Saturday. But then again, <laughs> look at the way we've played in the last couple of months. Are we uh, are we expecting anything to, to you know turn around after being relegated? I, I highly doubt it. It's uh, it's not even damage limitation anymore. We're just going out to get these games out of the way. <laughs> yeah, there does feel like there's an air of resignation around Fulham at this moment mm. in time. So let's come on to the second half then. I thought that Fulham came out, you know, they settled into the game quite well. They started using the ball much better than they had in the first half. We were prodding and probing all over the place. There had been a slight tactical change with Fabio Carvalho coming out off that right-hand side um, and into a more centralised striking position. I thought that his movement in the early parts of the second half was causing the Southampton centre-halves quite a lot of issues. And I think we'll go on to talk about Fab in, in a bit more detail later on because... 
there was a one bright spot in the game for Fulham and ultimately it was him. But let's quickly touch on uh, the second goal for Southampton, scored by Nathan Teller. Uh, Ralph Hasenhutl came out after his game, after the game and said that he's the brightest uh, talent that Southampton have currently got in the whole squad. Um, and Drew, I would guess that along with the first half, that there'll be a lot of disappointed Fulham fans in the nature of the defence. Uh, in the way that Fulham, you know, let in that second goal, it was a very telegraph cross across the box from the Southampton right back. There seemed to be quite a breakdown of communication between the centre halves and the goalkeeper. And for the first time this season, it looks like Ariola is potentially letting his frustrations come out um, a little bit more obviously than they have done. Yeah, and who can blame him? To be honest, like you know, he must be every week, every other week, having a right lair at his agent saying, how, how have you ended up chucking me here, for God's sake? Do you know what I mean? Like He's, far, he's been far too good for us. Uh, he's tried his hardest to, to do his best for us, and he has done fantastically well. But, you know, you get a telegraph cross, as you say, from, what, I think, Walker Peters, and, and Taylor's, Taylor's on his own. And, you know, it's Taylor's oldest time. And, has, and, you know, no wonder it's getting frustrating. And, you know... <sighs> Yeah, it was just it was ridiculous. He'd been on the pitch two minutes, I think, coming on for Danny Ings, and then he uh, and then he gets his first senior goal. And you know who who better than uh, than Fulham to set up and help these players and these clubs get these milestones whenever they're after them. Uh, you know, it, it always seems to be us who acquiesce to them. So there we go. Uh, yeah, two minutes uh, after a, you know, as you say, sort of every every time you start a new half, you think right, come on, let's get a little foothold on the game and. It lasted about it lasted about ten to fifteen minutes, and and then it all goes to pot again. Um, so yeah, I mean Ariola, he's got enough credit in the bank, but he, he, can you can you blame him for getting annoyed? You know, he leaves with my best wishes and my my nod to say you know you did a great job for us and you were chucked in at the deep end. To be honest, yeah, completely. I think he does leave with some goodwill, and hopefully we see him go on to another club in the Premier League or another major club in Europe, which I think is is going to be his next move. But Cam, let's go and have a look at the, the good moment that Fulham had there. As I said, we when we started that second half, we settled in the possession quite well, quite nicely. Um, and whereas in the first half, we looked like a car without an engine, we were just completely useless in the final third. There was a couple of nice interchanges that ultimately led to Fabio Carvalho scoring his debut goal for the club. A great little finish in off the right-hand, right-hand channel. Um, a thump finish off the bar. You know, as a, as a goal scorer yourself... Talk me through what, what he did and, and what you liked about this goal. <laughs> if I could execute a strike like that every Sunday, then I really wouldn't be playing Sunday league football, let's face it. But, <laughs> um, but no, it was a be- beautiful little interchange between he and uh, BDR, I believe it was, just slipped him through. And um, we saw his uh, cuteness you know, in and around those dangerous areas, you know, in the pockets, just picking up possession and trying to make things happen in a kind of incognito style Um and Carvalho's got that, uh, he's got that sprightly spring about him as well. You know, he, uh, he ran off the shoulder, he uh, darted in and he didn't take too much time to set himself either. He knew what he wanted to do. He had that kind of instinctiveness to him as he uh, drove his foot through the, through the ball and cracked the crossbar. And uh, in that situation, especially for an 18-year-old on uh, basically the full Premier League debut, he could have completely, uh, completely flopped him, you know, in, in, the, head, in the headlights and uh, really made a hash of it. But you know, that was hit with real conviction and um, I'm really, really pleased for the lad as well because I was listening to, to him after the game as well, just talking us through those situations and he seems like somebody with such a level head on him, you know, for such a young lad to uh, to conduct yourself and convey what you're, uh, what you're thinking after the game, especially, you know, 
with all the emotions that are flowing around flowing around your body at that moment in time as well it just seems like somebody that is uh, willing to do whatever it takes to make a real impact on on the squad and you know Fulham are his club he wants to do everything possible at the club to uh, become a fully fledged uh, you know first team professional which I believe he certainly will be next season no doubt about it but we'll probably come on to that a little bit more um, but no, to finish, oh man, um, I think we're all sitting here in absolute awe of it because uh, it was uh, it was a bolt from the blue as well, which we didn't expect. And uh, Parker obviously threw him into the squad to make that uh, to make that impact and to really rubber stamp his credentials into the side. And he done that with the goal; it was excellent. The key thing that came out of the Carvalho goal for me was composure and, and his performance. I think mm. that is. Uh, that is the biggest attribute that I that I spotted from the young lad on on Saturday, and I think that's what we need. You know, when you've got uh, when you've had this season uh, chance after chance where you are the attacking players have made the wrong decision or haven't kept a cool head, and you know even somebody or I stick up for a lot. Mitrovic is is very very much guilty of making the wrong decision uh, quite often. Uh, to have that. Um, to have that composure is what you need. And, and you know, people can say, oh, why don't we play Carvalho from the start of the season? But you're looking at a player who hasn't been scarred by the previous 35 games. You're looking at yeah. a player who's playing unshackled from the weight of the Premier League. I mean, Tim Ream's never recovered from 2018-19. He's got PTSD and he's a grown man. So you need, <laughs> you need to treat these youngsters with respect. And he's, come, and he's come in and you've seen it. And this is exactly what we want from him. And, you know, he was born... 30th of August 2002, uh, the day after he was born, we got beaten 1-0 at the Hawthorns, uh, probably appropriately with Darren Moore getting the goal. But when he when he was born, we were a Premier League side and we were for the majority of his life until he actually joined the club in 2014 and we went down. So he hopefully will look at us and say, and, and in his mind, we're going to be, you know, uh, an, a, a, in his mind, a, a proper Premier League club and he will believe that we'll come back up and, and we'll stick around for a bit. It's not a Harvey Elliott pop him on and get a higher fee. I think we're very much going to see a lot more of Carvalho next season. Um, you know, he's not the out and out striker that we all want and we all need. But I tell you what, you know, if he's going to keep that sort of composure, I think uh, he can level up in the champ a little bit, and it's uh, it's exciting. I'm excited to to see him. You know, of these two little segments that we've just had there, I think I I love the fact that we're talking about Fabio Carvalho saying that this is his club. It's a club he's always been at and he, it's a club that he wants to obviously become a part of a first team with in the future. And it's obviously so great to hear that. But I think the most outstanding thing here is that he's showed maturity above his years with that performance. Yeah. The the movement that he showed, the fact that he kept two very, very um, experienced centre-halves and, and two impressive fullbacks for Southampton very much occupied throughout the duration of that 90 I think underlines the quality that someone like Fabio Carvalho is going to bring to the squad in the immediate term in these last two games in the Premier League hopefully but then also going into next year as well when we embark on another championship season but I guess it'd be great to have you guys' thoughts and seeing where where Carvalho fits in over the next couple of years and and it's good. Like We've been talking loads at this on this podcast over the, the past couple of weeks especially about how do we make the path to the to the academy a bit smoother and who are we expecting to come in? But let's just look at Fab in isolation. Like Drew, I, I just want to get your thoughts on on how big a part you think he's go, he's going to play for us next season. And Cam, what can we expect from him in terms of you know continuing his his progression and scoring goals? The jigsaw puzzle pieces up top are especially interchangeable. Uh, you know. With uh, with all of our with all of our forward players, we we you know we've chopped and changed. We've tried to find the right formula. So I, you know I feel like there's definitely 
there's definitely scope for Carvalho to come in and you know challenge some of the more senior players, you know, in those forward in those forward positions. And I would uh, I would bet bet for it, you know, especially you know if you look at some of the the attacking players to come back or who have been out on loan, you know, I think he's he's got to stake a claim. So I'd I'd expect, you know, we've seen it before when we go down. Uh, you know, we, we give some of these these youngsters a chance. We certainly did the last two times that we've, we've been relegated. So I expect Carvalho to come in. You know, Parker did well in the pre-match interview on Sky, uh, not building him up too much. You know, uh, I think he said something along the lines of, you know, he's gone and uh, he's gone from being a player what has just been training with the first team to being a player what's uh, knocking on the door and uh, and and we're going to put him on uh, today. Uh, you know, not uh, not. <laughs> Not particularly lighting a fire that? under him, so all lights are on him. Uh, and I like that. I like that from Scotty P. Um, but yeah, I expect him to notch up, uh, you know, 15 to 20 at least next season, uh, depending on depending on how we set up and depending on who's in, who's in the dugout, frankly. Uh, do, do you know what? One of my favourite things about Scott is his, his use of what in completely the wrong position. And, <laughs> and that impression of Scott was spot on. That use of what is, oh, mate, it just underlines Parker for me. You've got to love it. Um, but I think <laughs> in terms of, again, looking at the final 10 minutes of, of this game, obviously Southampton scored another goal there, goal there through Frio Walcott. Um, I think he's made us all feel really quite old. The fact that Frio Walcott is, is now 31 years old, I believe. And I, I guess all of us here on this podcast can remember him going to Euro 20, what? What was that? Euro twenty, Euro two, no, World Cup two thousand six, two thousand six, yeah. as a sixteen-year-old. Yeah, yeah. That's crazy. Like, I'm, where where does the time go? <laughs> I'm guessing Cam can't remember that too well. Surely not. Of oh course man, Cam. Cam's, Cam's, Cam's I, I, a man of the game. I was drinking Panda Pop and Loving Life back in those days, boy. Honestly, I remember <laughs> it so well. Oh, that 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 was uh, that was a heyday of football for me. I have to say that was that was when the the whole Wags sort of style and you know movement came out and the sun was having Victoria Beckham over the front page great nostalgia um boys I think that will probably do us for the analysis of uh the trip down to Southampton um one great stat from the BBC um that Fulham have only registered one win in 31 league visits to Southampton um and are winless in 10 top flights to the Saints um and of course Saturday wasn't any better for us but there's hoping that the next time we go to St Mary's we can secure all three points with a performance that was much better than this one. So we're going to take a quick break now and we'll come back to you after the break with some listener questions. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Fulhamish podcast with me, Ben Jarman, and I am joined by Drew Heatley. Hello. And the main man, Cameron Ramsey. Hello, mate. Big up. Big up yourself. Right, let's dive into some listener questions. We have an absolute bag full after that performance against Southampton. And you know things are going well for Fulham when we get loads and loads of questions. So let's start with Jason Atkins. And Jason says, what could possibly be the benefit of hanging on to Parker? 
surely our squad is good enough that we can get we can go to the market and still get promoted at the end of the season. Please discuss. Drew, do you want to go first? I'm not sure I completely agree that we can we can really you know do do what we want i think uh, i think we've seen uh, we've whether it's the you know recruitment team or whether it's ffp or whether it's a mix of every of everything which i think in reality these things normally are i don't think we can command uh, you know anyone to come over and, and and go up no matter what who we bring in uh, the problem i have is that the the things that annoy me about parker uh, don't annoy me to the extent that I think he should go. I think uh, equally, I'm slightly concerned about who's there to to come in. You know, uh, mm. we've we've had people talk about Wilder and Eddie Howe, and I, neither of them, you know, uh, neither of them set me set my heart a flutter, to be honest with you. Um, so, uh, if there was a standout candidate who I thought could come in and I could bang that drum repetitively, then I would. But I but I don't have anyone, so it's almost it's almost better the devil you know. But as I said earlier, we've got we've got a huge power struggle coming up, and you know one of the sides will not be there. I think that well, there are three club superpowers in Tony Khan, Scott Parker, and Alexander Mitrovic in terms of his his history and his impact for us. And there are the three characters in this in this story that uh, you know only one will remain at the end of the summer. Uh, I think we're all fairly sure who that's going to be. Um, and I could be wrong. Um, but yeah, who comes in, I don't know. Um, I, I'm not particularly enthused by any of the names I've seen so far. No, I, I do wholly agree that there is very much slim pickings out there. But Cam, I'm, I'm keen to get your stance on Scott. Do you think it's worth hanging on to him? I think that, that a lot of us have spoken across the podcast the past couple of years about potential um, and, and seeing Scott develop as a coach. Do you think now's the time to get rid of him or, or would you keep him? Well, I'll keep him. <laughs> I don't really, I don't really see what people are getting themselves in such a tears about. To be quite honest with you, yes, he's been out fought this season, he's been out managed, but that's kind of expected for a manager of his, uh, his his experience as well. I mean, he's, you know, he's got to apply his trade somewhere, and I think Fulham will, you know, he's he's had his run-ins, uh, or you know, um, maybe lost uh, confidence of the board, perhaps um, in in no uncertain terms. But I quite like Scott, you know, and he's in at championship level. He's he's done it before. He's got it promoted. So who's to say that he can't do it again if he's uh, if he's going to make waves at the club properly? As brutal as it is, are you telling me that you'd rather have someone like bloody A.D. Boothroyd in charge, or you know, somebody that's completely negative and uninspired and just out of his depth in, in, in everything? He's I, I wouldn't have anybody like like him. I quite like Eddie Howe, but then again. I agree with uh, I agree with Drew in the fact that he doesn't necessarily make me jump out of my seat and punch the air. Um, so I think Scott's probably the best fit for us at the moment because at Championship I think he can do a great job for us and that's ultimately where we're going to be next season. So why do we really want to shake things up too much? I think personnel is definitely something we need to look at in terms of uh, who we field each week. It's not somebody, you know. I, I, I think, I think Matt Wells and he do a great job um, from the dugout, and they need to be given a little bit more time just to bed themselves into uh, to the club and the ethos and what they're trying to achieve. And the proof will be in the pudding next season. If he fails, he fails, and then we'll probably get rid of him, no doubt. But I do, I don't think he's been necessarily the root of our problems this season, and I don't really feel it's right to uh, to boot him out because of that. So. Yeah, I'll keep him personally. I don't really see the point of getting rid of him. Uh, I really like your point again about the recruitment side of things and then taking into account the squad that he had available to him. I think that we spoke about this a couple of podcasts ago quite in depth about the quality that we have in a final third compared to 
the rest of the teams in the league. I think from midfield backwards, we probably compete with almost anyone in the bottom half. But going mm. forward, I think it's, a, it's totally a different story. And I think this lends itself quite well to this next question, which is from Vincent Leenda. And he says, results versus style. Would you take winning the championship playing like this or a couple of years staying down, playing exciting football and building a team with real style? I think, Cam, if, you, if you'd like to give your, your two cents on this, it would be greatly appreciated. Of course. Um, I, I quite like the second option, to tell you the truth, just to uh, really get uh, really get integrated into the championship football again and play some lovely, beautiful football and just enjoy football again. Because the whole roller coaster ride of being a Fulham fan can get really, really tiresome after a while, can't it? We, we, we all experience it year in, year out. So I'd kind of like some stability with Fulham. Even if it was just to be a top half, you know, pushing for promotion championship squad every season, that will suit me down to the ground if we're uh, really playing some exhilarating football again and really entertain us once more because that is essentially what the nature of the club is. You know, that is our philosophy. That is our identity, which we've completely lost this season. So, yeah, I'd like us to be one of those teams which is just an absolute fantastic squad to watch and excites everybody we're an inoffensive club in the fact that we are not necessarily a mill that goes out and gets all the you know bad uh, all the bad press but I'd like us just to get back to doing what we do best and that's playing beautiful football in you know in front of a packed Craven Cottage as well lovely uh, lovely sunshine beaming down on us too and uh, it translates onto the pitch so that's that's my two cents pal yeah basically <laughs> completely agree with a lot of your points there and I think Drew is there something to be said that it might be worth us doing a little bit of an origin going down and, and taking stock for a couple of years and coming back up again would you feel like this is what Fulham need to do now we seem to have been rudderless for the past two or three years it seems weird to say that considering we've been promoted twice but perhaps this is time to take a stock of where we really are yeah well, I mean you know obviously there's been a lot of talk this week about getting off the roller coaster that we're on but you know I guess the sort of going to the original question, sort of countering Cam a little bit, I'm not sure that, you know, in in periods throughout our history, we've been the entertainers. We were the entertainers under Jean Tagana. We were the globe shotters in the 70s with Best and Marsh uh, yeah. and Mullery and, you know, the like, likes coming to us and more. Uh, but, you know, in other periods during our during our history, we haven't been the entertainers. We've been the pragmat uh, the pragmatists, and you know, under under Roy Hodgson, we were at our most successful when we were the pragmatists, when we were drilled, when we knew exactly what we were doing, and we didn't play the most exciting football, but the excitement came from the success and the moments that we had. Uh, and you know, if if we went straight back up with you know playing a, a dull style of football that got us results and got us the championship and kept us in the Premier League. Quite frankly, I would watch it and enjoy it. Um, you know, look, I appreciate lovely free-throwing, swashbuckling football as much as the next guy. Uh, and, you know, Lord knows we've seen some shite football this year that hasn't drawn results. But, you know, football that gets results might be boring, but it's not crap. And I'll take it. I would, I would enjoy it. I would enjoy the moments that come with it. Uh, you know, we don't get that choice, though. That's that's the long and the short of it we do need to sit there and we do need to take stock this this summer because you know we are as a club we're sitting in the Huckabee Earnshaw vortex where you know we're not good enough for the Premier League but we're possibly uh good too good for the championship certainly in the upper echelons of that division uh, and we need to get out of it 
um, and how we do that. Uh, you know, there are everybody's got an opinion, and I think uh, a lot of people have the same one. Um, and and the work needs to be done. The same opinion that everybody has isn't one that's necessarily going to happen. So we need to then figure out a way to move forward with the situation as it is. Um, I don't think we'll go back up next season. I think we'll we'll have a few years of enforced leave in the championship. I just hope that uh, it's in the upper echelons, as I've already said, of that of that division because we know that. For all the rose-tinted spectacles of oh, let's get on a let's get on an eight thirty train out of King's Cross for a little shant up north, you know it's <laughs> it's diabolical in the championship when you're when you're not up there, and I hate it, and I don't want to see it again. I you know I remember being drilled three 0 by Millwall at home on midweek game, and you know at least when you're getting pumped in the prem, you can admire the opposition football. They were shy, and we were shy, and they won three <laughs> 0 and I just thought this is. This is absolutely terrible. I don't want to have that again. So, you know, uh, I, I, I'm just slightly nervous. That really. <laughs> yeah, I respect that, mate. That's fine. That was Just, brilliant. Justified to a T, mate, honestly. <laughs> no, Drew, I, I love your Premier League stance. And I, I know you do get some flack for it in the WhatsApp group every now and again. But I admire a man that stays true to his word and, and fair play. I think uh, for the next question, we'll go, we'll go to Omar Zhuzhati. And Omar, I apologise if I have butchered your last name, but you are very lucky to have your question read out, seeing as you are a Real Madrid fan as well as Fulham. However, <laughs> you, you do ask, um, and I really like this question because it's quite hypothetical, but also it gives us a chance to have a look into our depth, Cam and Drew. Um, the obvious, who stays and who goes? Very curious about how we're going to go about the next one to three seasons in the Championship. And Cam, I guess I'll start with you, but... Who do you think that we're going to see the back of across this summer? Obviously, low knees aside, but potential squad players that we've already got. Um, and then Drew, I guess, you know, the same from you after Cam. Well, I think there's been muted kind of whispers um, over the last couple of days, which suggests that next season we're going to be building a core around the players that got us promoted last time. So that kind of uh, suggests that we might well see Tim Ream, Dennis Adoy stay just so they can be those old heads in the squad to maybe give a little bit more wise experience and uh, you know um bit of bit of knowledge to the youngsters coming through uh, but then again I'd like to see them leave <laughs> you know I'd like to, I'd like to see Tim Room leave I'd like to see Dennis Adoy leave um I personally think that Mitrovic is going to be out the door as well um I just don't see him you know coming past repair I like you know, I, I think he's got a bit of a fraught relationship with uh, with Parker, and understandably so if he's being omitted from the uh, first team squad every single week. Um, we keep Hector. I think as a championship competitor, he's a very, very worthy player to have in the back four. Um, I think Joe Bryan will stay as well. Um, you know, there, there, there will be there will be some comings and goings. Of course, I, I'd like to see Knockart leave permanently just for the pure fact I don't like the geezer at all. But I think that his time at Fulham's up anyway. And, you know, coming maybe towards a bit more of a twilight time in his career too, he hasn't got necessarily the same punch and, you know, impulse in his game that we desperately need along the channels. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't necessarily think it's going to be wholesale changes. I I just think that um, we need to be clearing up some of the deadwood in the squad. And for me, that is definitely the likes of Dennis Adoy and Tim Ream in particular. <laughs> I think um, I think there's yeah you're exactly right. You can't have the wholesale changes that you you'd possibly do on Championship Manager and clear out and start again because well, apart from anything else, you've got you've got the dressing room. You know you rip apart 
you know, the heart of the 2018-19 squad, uh, you know, the remnants of, of them, so, so to speak, then what does that do to the players that we keep from there? Like Kearney, for example, you know, when all of his, you know, he's, he's committed. I think we, we know that uh, days of moves to West Ham or other Premier League clubs are long in the past and I'm, I fully expect him to either see out his career at the cottage or, or get moved on against his will um, in the future. I don't, you know, that, that's the way I see Kenny's career going. But, you know, what I'm, what I'm saying here is you can't, you can't pull everybody out because, well, for a start, you've got to replace them as well. So, you know, yeah. I do, I do think, yeah. um, I do think Odoi and Reem one one will go probably Odoi actually to be very to be honest with you yeah uh, and I think Reem will stay um, I think Bettinelli will go on on his return from Middlesbrough I think he'll be gone so we'll need to find a backup to to Matt Rodak um, I uh, I would love to see one of Knockart or Cavalero go I don't think. Uh, I certainly don't think both have warranted their places to stay. But again, you know, we've just signed, we've essentially signed them last summer. Uh, well, we did literally uh, pay the money for them last summer uh, for, you know, eight figure sums. So they're not going to go cheaply. We'll lose one or the other if, if we're lucky, but we certainly won't lose both. Um, but again, you then have to replace these players. We've got a we've got a paper thin squad as it is. You know, you're already losing the seven low knees, six of which started against Burnley, and I think the same, maybe even six again started against Southampton. Certainly, certainly five. Um, so you know, we've got a big we've got a big job already without making it much bigger. Um, I, I expect Hector to play uh, an important role alongside uh, Tossin next season. I think that. Uh, you need to when when something goes wrong like it did for for Michael Hector. I think you dust yourself off and you try again. He's yeah. he's shown his quality uh, in the championship, and he's younger than Tim Ream. And it remains to be seen whether the aforementioned PTSD is stronger in Michael Hector than it was in in poor Timothy. <laughs> uh, but um, I I expect him to play uh, majority of our games in centre back with Tossin. Um, I think that uh, I think Mawson will go. Um, yeah. And yeah. so there's a few, there's a few, but which means which means a lot of work to be done. And and to be honest, you're going to get a few more loans again, I think, because we're flying quite close to the wind when it comes to FFP. Um, and I think that that is sadly is just one of the ways that we we have to do things. Um, and we're we're stuck in that particular uh, merry-go-round for the foreseeable. What about Neeskins? Do you think, do you think he'll stay? I mean, you know, he can't necessarily be loaned out as, as much as he can do anymore. He's too good for him to be loaned out in the championship. And they won't go, yeah, I'd they like won't loan him out to Ryan. I like to see what happens with him. For me, even Neeskins, I love him, and he's an affable character, and he, you know, he's great. He had a purple patch at the end of you know last season, and uh, yeah, and he got him a new deal, which I think was. It was a bit, it was a bit short-sighted. I think when you've got, mm. you've got to have the perspective for the long term. And this is what, this is what, you know, I've got, I've had a theory for a while. But uh, you know, Tony Khan is, he's quite close with the players of of eighteen nineteen, and he's got, you know, he's got personal relationships with all of them. They all went to Vegas. They all yeah. did this and the other. And I wonder whether that clouds his judgment when it comes to rewarding them. Like, uh, you know, why did, why did Cabana get that new deal? Who, who can say? You know, there's. You know why? How is how is Tim Ream still still here? You know all of these different things. Like uh, I, I do wonder whether his uh, his judgment's clouded in, in, in from a personal capacity. It's just a slight sort of hunch that that I've, that I've got. But anyway, by the by, I don't think he should be here, but he will be because we can't sell players, move them on <laughs> that we've just that we've just signed to, to new deals. You know. 
No, I, I fully agree. I think you've got a great point about Niskins. I think without that purple patch at the end of last season, he'd be long gone. He'd be actually he'd be playing for someone in the championship on a regular basis, but probably someone like a Huddersfield or maybe someone a little bit better than that. But I think we would have seen the the back of Niskins at this point. It's also a lot. I, I wouldn't be surprised if over the next couple of podcasts we get a couple of questions about Abubakar Kamar, and it'll be interesting to see where oh, yeah. he fits into the team. But as a newfound fan of MLS, I think I'd actually quite like to see Tim Ream go back over there. I mean, some of the level of defending is atrocious and it'd be quite nice to see Tim Ream slotting in at centre-half somewhere across the league uh, and, yeah. you know, really starting to dominate it again. Um, but yeah, let's move on quickly. Uh, let's have a couple more. And It wouldn't be an episode of Fulhamish without a couple of hypothetic questions, so let's get into them, shall we? Uh, let's start with Dean Gribble first, who said, In a hypothetical world, would you take Yukanovic back, but in return have to get rid of Mitrovic and Parker? Let's go Cam first. It's a tough one, but I wouldn't have Jukanovic back. I would, uh, I'd keep Parker and Mitrovic. Um, yeah, lovely football we played under Jukanovic, of course, but I still think there's uh, great things to to be seen underneath Parker. And if we can keep Mitrovic in that mix as well, then uh, what are we complaining about? So, no, I, 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 I'd keep Parker in the Mitro. Basically. Drew, what are, you, what are you saying? Drew, are you going back to Sweet Talk Your Ex or are you leaving them in the dust? <laughs> <laughs> uh, the only ex that I'd ever take back is Roy Hodgson, and uh, and, and I'm not sure that's going to happen. Um, I, I, if Savisa came back, then Mitrovic, there's no way he'd go. He'd be back. He'd, he'd get he'd get mm. the Fulham tattoo on his chest. He'd be there for life. Um, but, <laughs> but no, no, I would uh, I would not take Slav back. Uh, and anyway, he's going to Sheffield United, I believe, isn't he? So no, I wouldn't. I I, I would not take Slav. Appar- apparently, so apparently Savisa is going to Sheffield United, but of course Slav is a very expensive man. And- I'm not sure Sheffield United are paying that very expensive wages. Um, one thing we have seen touted around is Roy Hodgson coming back to Fulham as director of football. It's not a question that we've got in the bag, but um, seeing as I'm hosting, I can do what I want now. Um, <laughs> lads, it would be really good uh, just to get your thoughts on Roy coming back as DOF. I mean, I think there are very much two camps out there. A lot want a Fulham hero to return. And then the other, the others that I've seen uh, more today than than any other day is uh, that they feel that the game's changing so much that a character like Roy might not be the best director of football. But keen to get what you both think, Drew. If you, you fancy having a shot first, that'd be good. Yeah, I think it's um, I think it's a, it's it's pie in the sky, isn't it? It's it's from it's from us fans chatting on Twitter, wanting a bit of comfort in a cold and the desolate shadow of relegation. Uh, you know, Roy's uh, Roy's legacy and Roy's strengths lie in his organization of uh of a football squad uh and you know and that's done on the training pitch and um you know i don't know how much well okay no i do know how much he had he did have a good hand in recruitment when he was when he was full of manager you only have to look at the likes of neverland and hangerland and even people like leon andreas and all these people brought in from the scandy countries that he he knew so well we know that he can recruit um so i guess you know with that in mind he wouldn't be the the worst uh at the job certainly uh certainly couldn't be I'm not going to say that actually because there's been hits and misses recently. But anyway, look, I don't think that uh, Roy would come back. I would love it, but I feel like it's more, yeah, it's more of a comfort thing from us. I'm not sure in reality it would necessarily work that well. Uh, you know, maybe he'll come back as club ambassador in the future, uh, but that that's probably about it. You know, the man's in his 70s. If he can't find another management job 
he'll probably jack it in, right? Surely, like, come on, put your feet up. I agree with Drew. I, I think, um, you know, if he doesn't necessarily get another managerial job, then why would he want to step into a director of football role? Um, I understand, obviously, he has a great affinity with Fulham, but he's getting on now. And uh, maybe it is time to uh, break out the uh, the secateurs and do a bit of gardening, you know, every single day of the week, as old people do. Um <laughs> You know, I, 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 I'd love him to come back to the club in some capacity. I totally agree with Drew, but he's certainly not ousting uh, Mr. TK from his uh, from his director of football role and uh, all of the other roles that go along with it, of course. So, so no, I, I, it's very, you know, it's fantastical to think about it. Of course, it is. It's a, it's a great dream to uh, kind of cling on to, but, but no, I, I, I. I'd ultimately love him to come back, but I just don't see it happening. So uh, I just want Roy to enjoy a nice, happy retirement. Fair enough. And I think we all agree with that one. Um, So, yeah, let's get on to our final question. This is from uh, Brian Lake. And he says, he's getting his first Fulham tattoo this Friday. Um, This is not his first tattoo or even his first football tattoo. um, But he was curious of everyone's opinion of them in general and wondered if uh, the lads had any. Uh, and he's gone with this this uh, current badge as his first one, and he says, "Come on, you whites." So, uh, Cam, I don't know if you have any, but um, Brian, myself, and Drew both have Fulham tattoos. Actually, um, I've got the old, old, old badge on my left arm, and I think Drew, you've just got a simple FFC somewhere, haven't you, mate? Yeah, I got the seventy-five uh, FA Cup final badge on my leg. Uh, which I love and I, uh, I don't regret. And if, if you know, if you do it, if you got if you ask for people's opinions before you do it, they'll be like, "Oh no, don't do that." And if you just do it, nobody's got the bollocks to say anything, and they're just like, "Oh yeah, mm. nice." So you know, just <laughs> just go for it. Follow your heart or follow your left calf, and and just go for it because <laughs> uh, you know what? There's one thing in your life that's not going to change. It's uh, it's your love for this club, you would hope. So uh, you know, there's nothing, there's no safer option. Cam, I think you're a blank canvas, aren't you, mate? I am a blank canvas, man. I mean, I've I've always wanted tattoos. My my brothers have got tattoos and all that kind of stuff, and I think they look bitching. Well, they look really, really cool. Um, but my missus will kill me if she, if she finds out I get a tattoo, even if it is a Fulham one. So I'm afraid I'm not one of those guys who has any ink. But yeah, if you're going to get one, bloody go for it, man. I mean. I'd get FFC emblazoned on my back in big, big block capitals if I really, if I really could do. But um, <laughs> it's also one of those things, you know. It's also one of those things I don't really think you, you necessarily got to give a shit about what other people think about tattoos. Really, you know, if it looks good to you and it's got, a, it hits, you know, it hits your heartstrings as, as much as Fulham does, and go for it. We, you've got all, all of our blessings and respects, and yeah, completely run with it, pal. Yeah. Run with it and just, uh, just love life and get whatever you need. Um, you know, etched on your body. That's what it is. I firmly, firmly agree with that. And on that deep note, we're going to take one more break. Welcome back to the Fulhamish podcast. I'm here with Drew Heatley. Hello. And I'm here with Cam Ramsey. Hello, mate. Oi, oi. Uh, So we have no other business here other than to name this week's podcast, which it gives me the great pleasure to hand over to my mate, Milkshake IPA chugging Drew Heatley. (laughs) So if you could give us a name, mate. That would be grand. Yeah, um, I I'm going to go with dead men jogging. I I was thinking about going for a slightly more upbeat Carvalho focused name, but 
I mean, it really was, uh, it was a dead rubber. There was uh, not a lot going on. And if you're at this point, if you're at this point and you're still listening, then fair play to you. Tweet us with Milkshake IPA to let us know that you, you made it to the end and, and make sure you buy one because they're cracking little beverage. Uh, but yeah, Dead Men Jogging. Yeah, great choice of uh, IPA and a great choice of podcast name. Uh, so as we draw this to a close, I'd just like to thank everyone for listening. But most importantly, thank you to Cam for joining me. Pleasure, James. You've done an absolutely fantastic job today. So uh, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Thanks. Thanks, Cam, mate. I really appreciate that. Thank you for helping me steer the ship. And also a big thank you to Drew Heatley, who was on secretarial duties today. Thank you very much, Drew. Thank you, James. I'd fly on your airline any day. Oh, you are too kind. And uh, yeah, thank you everyone for listening. And come on you whites.